Hello and welcome to episode nine of Juiced Balls, the only baseball fantasy podcast. I'm your host, Brad Johnson, and we have a special treat today. It's author D.B. Firstman. Uh, they're here to talk about their new book, Hall of Name, Baseball's Most Magnificent Monikers, from the only Nolan to Van Lingle Mungo and more. Uh, D.B., thank you for coming on the show. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself and your fascination with names? Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. A um, little bit about myself. Uh, born and raised in New York City, uh, Queens specifically. Um, baseball fan through my father. Uh, my parents were divorced when I was two. Uh, my father would come over to the house, plop himself on the couch and turn on the Yankee game. And I quickly realized if I was going to relate to my father, it was going to be through baseball. So I quickly became a baseball fan, and that has never wavered over the decades. Uh, I went to St. John's University, where I studied athletic administration, the business side of sports. I wanted to get into sports management, but uh, it didn't quite work out that way. So instead, I uh, joined SABRE, the Society for American Baseball Research. I I went to conventions, I went to meetings, I wrote articles. Um, I've been a blogger since 2004 on various sites. Uh, I started my own blog, um, Value Over Replacement Grit, in 2011. And Hall of Name is my very first book. And my fascination with names is basically, I'm just a nerd. I am just a nerd for all sorts of reference books and encyclopedias and dictionaries and thesauruses and uh, just trivia. And I've always been very inquisitive about the etymologies of words or or names. And so, you know, this this was a perfect marriage. It was the the etymologies of names and baseball players and, you know, the profiling thereof. And that's that's what the book is basically about. I consider myself a bit of a name aficionado myself, but not nearly on the scale that you've taken it to. Uh, Just uh, there's certainly a lot of names that I appreciate in baseball and, uh, uh, baseball especially just seems to really have great fodder for interesting names. Uh, going back in history, you have very colorful ideas of <laughs> what, what makes a nickname. Uh-huh. And then, uh, yeah. And then, and now we, we have a lot of diversity in the sports. So you, you get names that you're not familiar with. Yeah. There's a lot of, there's a lot of world, uh, world geography and ethnicities and nationalities that are great fodder for interesting names. And that that ties into your book too. Uh, every uh, player you profile, you, you go into that in, in great detail. Yes, um, that was that was half the fun of the book. I I, I really wanted to the the purpose of the book was not necessarily to make fun of these people. The purpose of the book was to c- celebrate the creativity and originality of these names and to profile their lives and, and describe how they got into the game, how they, what their life was like growing up, how they, how they came into baseball, what their career was like and what they did after the game. They, they, they are real people. And I wanted to profile and show just that side of it. So the book is a little bit, is, is a bit of humor and it's a bit of a reference book. So it's the best of both worlds for me. Yeah, for, from my perspective, it's a, a great 
kind of historical snapshot of of these players who uh, a lot of them aren't necessarily people you would have heard of uh, and it's I like it because it combines some some older guys, uh, you know, term of the century types, uh, with names that I'm more familiar with, and that that keeps me. Uh, I, I tend to gloss uh, phase out a little bit when I'm just reading about 19th century <laughs> yeah. guys, uh, but going back and forth really mm-hmm. helps uh, for me at least. Uh, it keeps me. Yeah, engaged. that was one of the one of the uh, big concerns of the the order of the book how is i going to present these players was i going to do a hundred names strictly in alphabetical order was i going to do it in chronological order and i i you know bounced it around with a couple of friends and they decide they helped me decide on a few distinct categories of names and then within those categories i decided to alphabetize them so you do get a mixture of older players from the you know 19th century to players that you know finished playing only five or six years ago. Yeah, I think it was a great choice. Uh, it really worked out well the the or- way it was organized there. I, I've I've gone a little off the rails of what I intended to ask you, uh, but I did want to before we get into my part <laughs> of the show. I did want to get a sense of uh, you know, what kind of like led you and what like turned you towards uh, creating this book about names and. Well, um, my blog, Value Over Replacement Grit, uh, one of the regular features of it, I, I did profiles of, of great names. I, you know, I did the Cal McClish and Briss Lord and Doug Goosh and Billy Joe Robodeau. And I wrote about them and I wrote about the etymologies of the names and the profiles of their playing careers. And at that point, this was like 2011, 2012. I thought, you know what, if I package them all together and, you know, and I really put some effort into it, I think this could actually be a book. And I uh, brought the idea to, I, I came up with a book proposal and I took it to a couple of niche, you know, sports related, small press publishing houses, you know, like McFarland and University of Nebraska Press and, you know, folks like that. And they said, personally, we love the concept, but we just don't think it's going to sell. And so I tabled the the book idea for a while. I just kept blogging about, you know, various things that occurred in baseball. And I wrote for a couple of different, you know, I wrote for ESPN for a while. I wrote for other places for a while. And in 2018, I decided, you know what, I really do want to write this book. And in the interim, the the world of self-publishing really exploded in terms of the accessibility of, you know, websites and and companies that could help you publish your own book. And so I didn't need a McFarland. I didn't need a University of Nebraska Press. I could go and put my own imprint out there and publish my own book, you know, you know, and and yes, it's a lot of it's a lot of work. Half the work of the book is writing the manuscript, and then the other half of the book is getting it to print, getting it out there to the masses when you're self-publishing. Yeah, and I wanted to ask you about that. I, I noticed the publisher line was the books, <laughs> and I only assume that uh, that was uh, yes. your doing. <laughs> yes, it was. Um, so so. 
I take it the, the main advantage is you have control over the, the publishing itself, but that it's a lot of work. It's, it's a tremendous amount of work. And I, um, it, and it, there's, there's a, a significant cost outlay um, involved. I mean, I had to uh, acquire the rights to use specific photographs in the book. So I, you know, I, I, uh, went, I, I contacted the Hall of Fame. I got some photos from them, you know, and they, of course, charged me some money for that. And um, I had to get a cover illustrator uh, who I actually found on, on Twitter. I put, a, put out the bat signal for a cover illustrator, and I found one on Twitter. Um, and so that cost us some money. And, you know, just getting the ISBN number, that costs a little money too, and then just printing up the books um, for 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 sale, um, and then get you know. Fortunately, um, I went with a company called Ingram Spark, which will distribute the book. It, it's been distributing the book for me, uh, and then I can also order copies for my own you know for my own personal sale. Um, but it, it there is a a lot of work. You have to be your own author and your own assist in your own marketing firm and uh it's, it's rewarding but it's also exhausting i believe it anytime i've given the chance to to be creative i want to be i want to just toss it aside when i'm done like i finished <laughs> you know someone else take it from here it's handoff uh yeah for, well you know i have i have no artistic abilities whatsoever so i wasn't going to be able to do a cover so I was glad to find somebody who would do the cover right. for me. <laughs> and I was glad to have a friend in California yeah. who does book layouts for a living. So he, uh, he that well, was very fortunate. fortunate. So the, the layout of the book, which is beautiful, I, 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 have, to, I have to say, uh, the layout of the book, you know, was done by a friend of mine, you know, for, for, you know, I just had to, you know, give him a few copies of the book and he was, he was more than happy. So, you know, there were still there were still expenses involved, but there was there was a lot of work. And um, but, you know, this is this is what we do, you know, when we are passionate about a subject matter that we really feel strongly about. You know, these are the lengths that we go go through, go to. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I know I'm probably going to have to pass this self-publishing hurdle at some point in the future of uh, what put off several ideas, but at some point, one of them will, one of them will get enough steam and I'll, I'll have to do it myself. Uh, okay. So interesting to hear about your process and uh, I'll probably ask you questions about it in the future too. Sure thing. Uh, so we're here in part to promote this, uh, your excellent book here, uh, but we're also here to play Juice Balls. Uh, so are you ready to do that? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm as ready as I'll ever be. <laughs> That's a good answer. Uh, so, so here's how this works. Uh, I'm going to ask you a series of scenario-based questions, and by tradition, we start with apocalypse. Uh, and, and this one, uh, I'm, I'm keeping the apocalypse light given the uh, current circumstances. Uh, so, I'm classifying this as a very mild personal apocalypse. <laughs> okay. Uh, you, you awaken from a lovely nap, and you realize that it's still two weeks until Hall of Name is set to be distributed. Uh, your phone rings, and it's your publisher at DB Books. Uh, they're demanding you add a new name to the book at the very last minute. Who do you choose and why? Okay. Um, when I had finished 
writing up the 100 profiles for the book, I discovered that I had actually done 101. And the 101st profile happened to be a, a Cincinnati Reds outfielder named Paul Householder. And I just got a kick out of Householder, uh, the name. Um, it's the occupational name. It's, a, it's from the German Householder, and it's the occupational name for a steward of an estate. So, um, and Householder was a, a middling prospect. He had a couple of good years in, in double A. He had a 20 homer, 20 steal year in double A. And then he came up to the Reds and he, you know, had a middling nondescript career. And I tracked him down after his career was over. He is currently living in Florida and sells Porsches. So <laughs> that's that's who I would have I would have included had I needed another name. I, I feel like there's a missed opportunity somewhere uh, with the householder name and then selling Porsches should be selling should be Porsches, houses, right? Should be a real <laughs> should be a realtor. Yes, absolutely. Uh, so so your publisher they must be very contrary over there. They call back and they've now asked you to cut two names from the book. Uh, which two would draw the short straw? Oh, wow. Um, let's see. Let's go with a pitcher named Jimmy Gobble, who pitched for the Kansas City Royals, I believe, in the early 2000s, and he didn't pitch very well, but uh, he was... That's the name I remember. <laughs> uh, Gobble. Gobble was a, a bit of a turkey. Um, no, you know, I, you'll, pardon the, you'll pardon the pun. And uh, the other gentleman that I might uh, toss by the wayside is Scipio Spinks, who pitched in the late 1960s, early 1970s for the Houston Astros, and I believe the Cincinnati Reds for a time, and he had a knee injury on a play at the plate, and he was never the same afterwards. Um, again, relatively nondescript career. I mean, Scipio Spinks had some talent behind him, uh, had some talent in his arm, but never really amounted to much, and he had that knee injury. So if I had to give up two players, probably those two. Okay, and now your publisher is second-guessing the tagline from The Only Nolan to Van Lingo Mungo and more. Uh, if you had to pick two new names, and those were great names to pick, but if you had to pick two more, uh, who would they be? Um... Well, I could fall back on the old everything, everybody from A to Z and go with um, the first person alphabetically in my book, Jake Atz, A-T-Z, and the last person alphabetically in my book, Joe Zeb, Z-D-E-B. Um, Zeb, uh, I believe it's Zeb. I, I think the D is silent. Um, and uh, <laughs> he was a uh, outfielder for the Royals. Uh, a Royals player and Jake Atz. The story with Jake Atz is um, his original name was supposedly Jacob Zimmerman, and he changed his name to Atz because back in those days, this is the early 1900s, the payroll was given out in alphabetical order, and he got shortchanged a couple of times because his last name being Zimmerman, he was at the end of the end of the group. So there were a couple of times where he didn't get paid. So he changed his name so he could be at, at the front of the line. So let's go with Jake Adson, Joseph. 
it's a, an extreme measure, uh, z, z to a. Yes, I, I like it. Uh, so, so that scenario is done. You made it. Uh, one question down. Uh, back to some normal interview questions. Uh, I imagine organizing entries for Hall of Name was kind of challenging. You touched a little bit on uh, how you got there, but what was the process for bringing it all together? Well, I decided that they needed to be in some organized groups. And so I took the 100 names and I put them into four distinct categories. Um, the first one is baseball poets and men of few different letters. So those are names that rhyme, like Ed Head and Greg Leg. And men of few different letters are basically uh, alliterations, uh, such as Boof Bonzer, Calix Crab, Coco Crisp. So I so that was the first group, and then I presented the profiles in alphabetical order within the group. The next group is Dirty Names Done Dirt Cheap. That's for the twelve-year-olds in all of us. Um, yeah, the <laughs> that, that was a great section. <laughs> yes, it, it was short and sweet, but you had you had the world-famous Johnny Dickshot and Jack Glasscock. You had Rusty Kuntz. Pronounce his name Kuntz, not Kuntz. And, of course, <laughs> Pete Lecoq and Charlie Manlove and a whole bunch of others. And, and Tony Suck, too. Uh, Tony Suck was a real player. So then, then we had Sounds Good to Me, which was my interpretation that the name itself was just really fun to say. It rolled off the tongue, the real melodic quality to it. Like Shigatoshi Hasagawa, which was actually the favorite name of Bob Shepard, the public address announcer for the Yankees for all those years. That was his favorite name to announce at the stadium over the public address system, Shigatoshi Hasegawa. So Sounds Good to Me celebrates those names that are just really fun to say and lyrical. And then the final group is sort of a hodgepodge. It's the potpourri section. We call it No Focus Group Convened. It's just an amalgamation of anybody who didn't really fit into the first three categories. Um, so those, those were, that's sort of the order of the book. Okay, and should we go through how each of those entries is organized? Because uh, there's some internal logic to the posts as well. With the, the, the name itself, and uh, we give the given name. Um, sometimes the name that they played under is not necessarily the name they were born with. Uh, for example, uh, Hazen, uh, Kai Kai Tyler was the, um, world, you know, the, the Hall of Fame player in the 1920s and 30s. His given name was Hazen Shirley Kyler. So, we show we show the the birth name and his, the name of, of under under which he played. Then we give a pronunciation of the difficult parts of his names of of the name. So if they had a tough last name, we gave a pronunciation for the for the last name. Then we get into nicknames. Did they have a nickname? For example, Boof Bonzer. Boof happened to be a nickname given to. Mr. Bonzer, by his mother. So we go into the derivation of the nickname and how, how, it, how it, you know, came to be. And um, then we get into other demographics like height and weight, their birth date, 
uh, the date they may have passed away if they did so, uh, the position or positions they played, the years they were active in the majors, and then we get into the, the uh, a major section on the name etymology and the definitions of the name. So we take each part of the name, the first, middle, and last, and we break it down, um, give a real etymology like you know the ethnicity of the name, where the name, what what nationality the name is, how the how the word how the names themselves are defined in a particular language. And then we finally get into the profile itself. We get into the history of the player. Uh, we, we, we talk about how they got into baseball, what they did one, once they were in, in baseball itself, and then how their career ended. Moving on, we then go to what uh, a, a, we call Best Day, which is uh, ostensibly either by uh, WPA or other measure uh, the best day they had on the major league field. And in some cases, if you're only up for a cup of coffee, your major league debut might be your best day. Uh, and then I get into a section called the wonder of his name, which is basically uh, my opinion on why it's such a great name. Uh, and uh, then we go for not to be confused with. These are names that sound like the name of the player that I'm writing about, but they're not the same player. Uh, so don't be confused with um, Greg, like Greg Golson. I, I don't write about Greg Golson, who is an outfielder, with Greg Olson, who is a pitcher. So don't get those two confused. And that's the purpose of that section. Then we do some anagramming of names because I love anagrams, uh, and so I give anagrams of their first and last names, or their first, middle, and last names. And then finally, we come to ephemera, which is basically all sorts of factoids and trivia about the player that wouldn't have fit in the main, main biographical portion of the, of the profile. And all the details in ephemera are great. They're, they're, they're really, uh, they give a, a rich picture, a snapshot of, of who these people are. But what I really crave and loved about this book were the anagrams. And uh, I think my favorite, uh, and I haven't quite read all of the, the players so far, but I've gotten through a good chunk. And Pink Holly uh, anagrams to either his keen manly power or alternatively, homely wanker penis. <laughs> Do you have a favorite? <laughs> yeah. When I describe this player, there's a little, when I describe each player, there's a little uh, tagline underneath it. Um, for, I love this there, too. <laughs> yes. There, there was a pitcher for the Texas Rangers in the late 2000s named Warner Madrigal. Um, he, had a, he had a couple of seasons with the Rangers, but he was a middle reliever, uh, not, you know, not, not any great shakes. Didn't really distinguish himself. So it it so happens that if you take Warner Madrigal and anagram it, it it's very self self descriptive. It it turns into marginal reward. <laughs> so excellent. Yeah. All right. So anagrams are obviously close to your heart, and uh, I'm going to give you a little layup for the second scenario in Juiced Balls. Uh, okay. I want you to give us the raunchiest anagram you can for Rob Manfred. Uh, I couldn't find a middle name for him anywhere, so you could work with Rob D. Manfred Jr. or Robert D. Manfred Jr. And I think you had a couple other ideas too. Yeah, so uh, Rob um, 
Rob Manfred Jr. turns into Bend from Retard Jr., which is probably very offensive to certain persons. Uh, Commissioner Rob Manfred turns into Scream of Interbred Moronism. And Baseball Commissioner Robert Manfred is Fanatical Slobberer Dismembers Moron. So, All right. not 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 any homely 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 uh, wanker penises, but something something to something to write home about. Yeah, I think I liked the the second one most. I think it had the right combination of pithy and uh, <laughs> on, on point. <laughs> okay. All right, so that was a quick one. Uh, moving right along to scenario number three. Uh, in the course of researching Hall of Names, you must have come across some uh, pretty crazy stories. And I know you did because I read them. Uh, so what I'd like you to try to do in this one is uh, tell us about a player from your book whose career was negatively affected by off-the-field antics. And then I'd like you to try to rewrite the history uh, to describe what that player's career would have been like with better choices or luck. Okay. Uh, so, so first, to... to to get so we could break this down, make it a little more manageable. First, uh, who had a crazy life outside of baseball? Um, we we had many players that had poor life choices. Um, the player who I think had the uh, the the best he had the most potential ruined by the worst behavior would probably be Milton Bradley. Um, Milton Bradley. That's one a lot of us are familiar with. <laughs> yes. Um, Milton Bradley, an extremely talented athlete. Um, I believe he turned down a football scholarship to play baseball. Uh, was an outfielder, got bounced from team to team to team. And so there were every team that Bradley got traded to basically thought they could tame the beast that was that was in Bradley. Um, he had a temper. He had a, he played with a chip on his shoulder. He got into fights with managers and with executives and with um, you know announcers. Uh, he he charged he charged one of the play by play men you know in in the in the booth after a game. Um, and you know after his career was over. The, the 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 stories didn't didn't end. The bad the bad stories didn't end. He was charged with domestic violence. Uh, he served time in jail. Uh, so Milton Bradley, a ton of talent, but but really, he just he just couldn't keep keep himself out of out of harm's way. Um, and the crazy life outside of baseball, I would have to go with. Um, a fellow named Boots Poffenberger, otherwise known as Cletus Elwood Poffenberger. He was the quintessential million-dollar arm and 10-cent head. Um, as an example, he allegedly missed one game because he'd been out late in a Chicago nightclub, having appointed himself the conductor of the house orchestra. So, um, you know, this was Boots Poffenberger. He played in the late 1930s for the Tigers. Um, upon his arrival, he declared to his teammates, just call me Boots and on time for meals. I'm here to stay. I'm just a young punk from a small town and I don't know what the hell it is all about, but boy, 
I can blow that apple in there, and when I get smartened up a bit, I'll give those batters plenty to worry about. And within two years, he had worn out his welcome in Detroit, and he got traded to the Brooklyn Dodgers in 1939. And um, he quickly lost favor in, in, in Brooklyn also because uh, DeRocher was um, holding court in the bar at the hotel one night, and Boots walked in 30 minutes past midnight curfew, and he walked right past the skipper who saw who was just sitting there in the bar, and then Boots left the team on his own, of his own volition after only five innings of, of, of pitching that year, and they suspended him for a month, and then they sent him to the club, the, the farm team in Montreal. And then in 1941, he was already out of pro ball, and he was suspended for 90 days for throwing a ball at an umpire. Uh, supp supposedly, he was under the influence of alcohol when he was pitching. So he had talent. He, Boots Poffenberger had talent, but the, 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 the career I wanted to see him put together was he had this, this, this statistical anomaly where he walked twice as many men as he struck out. In, 19, uh, in 1937, he won 10 games and lost only five, despite walking nearly 80 batters with only 35 strikeouts. And these, yeah, uh, I, wanted, I wanted to see from a career standpoint how long that could go. Uh, you know, how long a career can you get? Now, of course, back in those days, strikeouts weren't as plentiful as they are today. But still, you're you're walking to, to, to you know the, your strikeout through strikeout to walk rate is totally reversed what it should be, and yet you still had a winning record. How long could he have kept that up? So that's that's the career I would have liked to have seen. You know, I, I don't know anyone who can get away with that anything <laughs> close to that in modern baseball. But it's definitely different way back. Uh, the strikeouts were less important than getting that weak contact. Right. Right. All right, so, so we're on to the final scenario, and I hope you'll enjoy this one. Uh, baseball historian John Thorne has offered you a job designing an exhibit at the Baseball Hall of Fame. Uh, the purpose, of course, is to celebrate the colorful names and personalities of the past. Uh, so how would you go about building this more tangible version of your Hall of Name? Well, um, I, I, I have to say that I am uh, acquainted with Mr. Thorne. Uh, he and I travel in some of the same circles within the Sabre universe, so um, this would be a real treat. Um, I would definitely want to have some memorabilia from some of the players involved. For example, I'd love to have the ball that Pete LeCock hit for the Grand Slam off of Bob Gibson, which led to Gibson making a statement basically saying the moment that Pete LeCock hits a grand slam off of me is the moment I should retire from the game. And that's what he did. So let's get, let's get the Pete LeCock baseball that, that he hit for the grand slam. Uh, let's get the arrest report for Ferris Fain, who was um, arrested in 19, in the mid 1980s and served 18 months in jail for growing pot in his house. Um, Apparently, he said he was good at it and it helped to pay the bills. So, uh, and then we could also have some memorabilia like the newspaper reports of the bus accident 
that forced a pitcher named Ed Head, who had been a natural lefty, to learn to pitch right-handed. So let's get some memorabilia and let's have some displays like for the for the younger fans or the ones who like to anagram, we could have some like anagram alley where fans try and unscramble the anagrams to come up with names of Hall of Famers. Uh, we could have uh, newspaper clippings. We could have a, um, a, a, a panel discussion from time to time where we uh, talk about, you know, we could walk through the, the, the exhibit and talk about the players themselves. Uh, so if we had the Hall of Fame uh, moderators to, to walk through and, go, and act as a tour guide, so that, that could work. What do you think of having, uh, I'll say, a not safe for work section for your your glass cocks and your dick shots? (laughs) Well, uh, the Hall of Fame is supposed to be for for everybody from from 8 to 80. (laughs) Um, And, uh, well, we could we could have a section for the the the, sort of the rap, the rap sheet for those who have been who were arrested or. There were there was one player who uh, was involved in, in a murder suicide of of him of of his his wife and himself. Um, we <laughs> I, I don't know how much of the adult world we want to introduce into this exhibit. Um, you know, there we we do have to think about the children. Yeah, that, that that's a more serious turn than I meant. I just wanted a little section where we pretend it's not safe and snicker about it. Okay. <laughs> all right. Well, DB, you survived juice balls. I'm all out of scenarios. Uh, let's tell everybody where they can find Hall of Name. Okay. Hall of Name is currently a uh, sale Amazon.com, and you can also find it at BarnesandNoble.com. If you want to. Uh, Stop in at your local independent bookstore. Uh, you can have them order it for you. Um, I can be found at um, Dianagram on Twitter. That's D-I-A-N-A-G-R-A-M. And my blog is Value Over Replacement Grit. Um, and the book is doing well. And I, I hope people enjoy it and, and uh, um if it sells well enough, there will be a volume two. Excellent. And I'll have some show notes. I'll post links uh, so y'all can uh, pick that up nice and easy. Uh, for myself and DB Firstman, uh, thank you for listening to Juiced Balls. Juiced Balls is filmed in front of a live studio audience. Support for the program comes from the Baseball A-Team community on Patreon.com. Become a patron at patreon.com slash baseball18. Juice Balls is looking for a producer, show music, and conceptual ideas. Reach out on Twitter at baseball18 or via the baseball18 community on Discord. <laughs>